Murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories. Brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, we're going to talk crazy and interesting and business non-compete stories on this True Law Stories. I've got Brian Walsh over the Orlando business firm, Walsh Banks. Brian, say hi. How you doing, everyone? Hi, it's great to be here. And great to have you. We're going to talk about how business law found Brian, His uh, one about how one secret stealing employee accuses a teddy bear, business owner of abuse, how they got video ed- evidence of violating a non-compete agreement, and how Disney's cleanest bathrooms were a pivotal point in a non-compete trial that led to a complete loss. And also how one client used a bulldozer to take the law in his own hands. All this on this awesome episode of True Law Stories. Of course, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best way to grow your law practice, your business, and any other type of business is through client and customer stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com where we can tell you how you can collect, craft, and deliver those. All right, let's get started. But Brian, tell us a little bit about your practice and then let's get into the stories. Sure. So um, we're a boutique business law firm. Um, We cater to the small to mid-sized business, primarily in three main fields, uh, business, franchise, and real estate. And each one of those are sort of the umbrellas. Uh, On the business side, transactionally, I do a lot of mergers, acquisitions, startups, succession planning, things like that. A lot of commercial contract work and things. Um, and then on franchise and real estate, franchise side, I'm both. I do the franchisor work. I do some franchisee work, helping people get in and out of those relationships. Uh, and then, you know, real estate, we have my partner and I are both licensed title insurance agents. We have a title company that's a sort of a sister to our, our law firm. Uh, so we do a lot of uh, lending, finance, uh, real estate closings. Um, and then on the trend or on the litigation side, we were involved in all those same things, you know, just sort of fighting the good fight for clients and, and businesses around the, around the state of Florida. And, you know, how did you get into this type of law into business and contracts and that type of law? You know, it actually kind of found me, um, going through law school. Um, so I, I, I started law school in 2000 and in 2001, the world changed. Uh, I was in, I was in Hofstra. I was on Long Island when, the trade center happened, um, you know, and, and that kind of changed the world dramatically, obviously. Um, it's, you know, and, and right after that, um, unfortunately my father passed away and, you know, and he had a small business in Pennsylvania and, you know, everybody turned to me and, and, and anybody that you talk to, any lawyer you talk to, as soon as you go into law school, right away, you are the family expert and everybody wants free legal advice, right? Um, hey, you're in law school, you should answer this question. Hey, you and you're in law school. You know the answer to this, uh, you know. And, and so I sort of became the liaison between my family working through my dad's estate, and you know the lawyers and the accountants and everything else. Um, and one of the things that really piqued my interest was the tax stuff that was going on with his business. You know, as we wound that down and closed everything out. So you know, in law school, the one thing I knew going into law school is I did not want to do criminal law. No disrespect to them. I think they're phenomenal people. Those lawyers are, um, they're a breed in amongst themselves, uh, you know, to do what they do on a daily basis and to do it as well as they do, um, 
mad props to them. And, and I have two great friends who are both criminal defense attorneys and, and, you know, they're, they're awesome guys. Um, but you know, as I, as I worked through that, I said, okay, well, I'm going to take some tax classes. Um, you know, and the tax part led me into, this is a lot of fun. This is really interesting. I like putting these puzzles together. I like taking these puzzles apart. Um, you know, so from there I said, well, you know, maybe I'll get this LLM thing that everybody's talking about. And, and I did, I went down to the university of Miami. I got my tax masters, um, and said, okay, here we go. Um, you know, and, and so really from day one coming out of school, it was, I want to be involved in transactions and the, the, you know, I want to be involved in buying and selling businesses. I want to be involved in helping, you know, people realize their dreams and, you know, and, and really taking things through that whole life cycle. And, you know, and so started at a couple of firms while well, I was at, a, I was at a, a statewide firm, a um, couple hundred attorneys, we were buying and selling stuff day in and day out. And, you know, and one thing I re realized rather quickly was I'm not doing anything tax law based truly, um, but there are tax ramifications through every one of these transactions, which was really kind of cool. Um, and really from my perspective, a better way to use that degree, because I never really wanted to be just a straight tax attorney. Um, you know, you, you, anybody that's ever looked at that code or, or even tried to read a paragraph of it realizes, hey, wait, this is probably the driest thing in the world. Why, why would anybody volunteer to do this? Um, but it's, it's been invaluable for me as a tool and a resource, right? Um, and so for, for the next two years, that's all we did was buy and sell businesses. Um, you know, day in and day out, we were closing a couple of deals a month, you know, two dozen deals a month, uh, you know, and, and the partner that I was working for had a great relationship with several clients that they just, you know, they just kept, you know, flipping, flipping, flipping and flipping. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a great learning experience. And so now you've done a ton of different business transactions, lawyers, doctors, you were talking about nightclubs, restaurants, auto shops. Tell me about some of these stories. I mean, you've, you've done some, I'm sure you've done some great things and then you've seen some crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, the transactional stuff is kind of, um, I don't want to use the word mundane because it's not, um, you know, it, it's, each transaction's a little bit different and, you know, and I've always sort of been this, the guy that likes puzzles, like growing up as a kid, I loved doing puzzles. So, you know, knowing what the picture is supposed to look like at the end and putting that together and making it happen, that's, uh, that's something that's always appealed to me. But, you know, one of the things that I learned when I got out of the big law experience was, you know, I've, I've got to be a little bit more rounded as an attorney. I don't want to just do transactions. And so early on, um, you know, we had a client come to us, a corporate client from um, here in, in central Florida. And, you know, they had a, an employee that they were struggling with. Um, and, you know, they, in his employment agreement, there was a restrictive covenant. Um, and, and it basically said, you can't compete with us within these, this mile radius for this period of time. You, know, you can't solicit our clients, you can't solicit our employees, all fairly standard stuff. And, um, you know, it's all governed by 542, 335 of the Florida statutes. And, and so they said, we want to stop him. Okay. 
Um, so my law partner and I jumped into this and this was right around the time that he had left the big law firms and, you know, we were working together on different matters. And, uh, so we jumped into it. Um, and they're in the construction industry and he, uh, he was basically selling secrets, stealing clients, taking trade secrets. And, and while he's working for the company that's paying him and he's given them to one of their direct competitors and they, you know, they kind of got wind of this and they said, well, you know, we're going to fire him and we want to enforce the non-compete. Okay. So, you know, we, we fire off a demand letter that says, you know, you're terminated and, you know, by the way, you have this non-compete, you're not going to work anywhere else. Uh, well, he tried to, he tried to call their bluff. Uh, they hired a private investigator who followed them, watched them, you know, got all kinds of dirt on them. We ended up, uh, we ended up in court early on and early on in, in this non-compete enforcement area, there's a, there's essentially a mini trial, which is the injunctive part of it. The, the part that says, you know, we as the court are going to allow them to enforce this non-compete. You're not allowed to compete against them. You're not allowed to solicit their clients or, uh, or their employees. And that's before you even get into the real big meat of the, the matter in the litigation. Um, and so we, we go into court and, you know, we're sitting there and, and the attorney for the employee, he's really trying to paint our client as a bad guy. Um, he's abusive. It's a hostile work environment. You know, you constructively terminated my client prior to his actual termination because of how abusive you were. Um, you know, and, and to sort of paint the picture, um, our client, he played D1 football for a, uh, a major school here in Florida. Um, he's, I don't know, 6'4", 6'6", weighs about 290, 300. He was an offensive guard, um, you know, and, and really had a shot at going pro, but his family, he actually took over his family business. Um, you know, so just the sheer size of this guy, you would think, well, maybe there's some legitimacy to this intimidation factor, right? But um, once you sat down and, and shook his hand, if, if the strength of the guy didn't crush your hand first, um, you know, you realized that's the coolest, nicest guy there is, right? Um, and so he puts our client up on the stand and he tries to paint this picture of, you're abusive and you created a hostile work environment with harassment and violence and everything else. Um, you know, and we sat there and we said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's let this play out and we'll do that here in a couple of minutes. And it came time for us. And, you know, so one of the questions we asked him was, you know, has, has anybody ever said that, you know, you're intimidating? Um, and, and he's like, no, not, not really. I mean, he said, you know, just by the mere size of me, it, it's kind of inferred sometimes, but, um, you know, he said, yeah, do I hit people? Well, not violently. I mean, there is the sort of the smack on the butt, you know, locker room kind of mentality. Cause he's a, he's an athlete, right. You know, so, Hey, good job. Good boy. Way to go. You know, great job getting that, that project done things like that. And, and that's really what they were trying to paint the picture of in terms of harassment and intimidation. Um, and, and it just, it wasn't really going to get anywhere. Right. And so um, as we have them sitting there on the stand, um, 
you know, the attorney in, in cross-exam looked at him and said, um, you know, so would you admit that your size intimidates people? And he's like, well, no, I'm not going to admit that. Um, you know, and it's, you know, well, he goes, he goes, hmm. And paused for a little bit. And he said, well, how, would, how do you think people would describe you? And he goes, well, he looks right at the judge, female judge, looks right at the judge and goes, well, the ladies tell me I'm soft and cuddly like a big teddy bear. And the whole courtroom, all, all the people, there's like 20 of us in the courtroom. Everybody started laughing. The judge put a smile on her face, um, you know, and, and, and this defense attorney, he's sitting there and he's, he just, he's, you know, stutters over himself, pauses for a few seconds. He's like, I have, I have no more questions for this witness. Right. And so we then put his guy on the we get, you know, we start going through his guy and, and he's lying and, you know, he's talking about how he's not doing these things. And then we play the video from the private investigator where he is doing all this stuff. Um, and so we completely discredited him. And, you know, and at the end of the day, um, and, and I got to tell you, it's kind of difficult to get some of these non-competes enforced. Um, but at the end of the day, the judge ruled in favor of our client. Um, you know, not so much because of him being the, you know, big, giant, soft, cuddly teddy bear, but more so because he was likable and, you know, because the law and the facts were on his side and we completely discredited the other guy. You know, I mean, you can't sit there and, and lie and say, I'm not competing when there's video evidence of you actually competing. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's. The, these non-competes in the state of Florida are really kind of interesting. Um, you know, some of them, you think, really, you're, you're, you're trying to protect that. Um, and, you know, but others, you know, it's, it's really, um, there is something there. Um, you know, we had another one not too long after that. And, you know, this time we're defending the employees who've gone on and done, they're doing this other thing. And the former employer is trying to enforce it against them. And this one's in the travel and tourism industry. Um, you know, and, and to hear, to hear the owner of this company talk, he was the greatest thing to the travel and tourism industry since Walt Disney. Um, you know, he had done stuff, that changed everything and, and made private tourism um, what it is today, um, you know, and, and for the listeners that are out there, you can, um, you can find companies and, and the major, the major parks do this as well. Um, but they have, they have private guided tours where folks who are just literally experts in the parks and at navigating the crowds and navigating the lines and everything else, um, they will get you through the park you, your family, your group in the most efficient and productive way possible. Um, you know, and Disney started this back in the nineties, you know, to cater to, um, the elite, you know, the, the movie stars, the actors, the, the athletes, the, you know, foreign dignitaries and everything else. And they would, you know, they would take them through the parks, but they would never leave the parks. They would never leave Disney property. And so, you know, what this company had done, which was a little bit different, was okay. We're gonna we're gonna do it at, at Universal, and we're gonna go to Kissimmee, and we're gonna go to Cocoa Beach and the Space Center, and all these different places. Um, but it was the same concept wherever they went. 
and so, you know, he, he had said, well, I have, I've provided specialized training. I have trade secrets that I've learned through my years of doing this. Um, and, and he was really trying to stop a couple of 20 something year olds from having any kind of job. This was what they knew. Um, and it's kind of what they loved to do. I mean, they were, they were fanatics of the parks. They wanted to be there. They wanted to go to the parks every day. They wanted to have fun. You know, they're fresh out of college. I think one of them was still in college. Um, you know, don't, they're not married or, you know, if they are, there's no kids. So it really is a pretty cool, fun job for somebody at that age. And, you know, and so we start long drawn out, um, restrictive covenant litigation and, you know, and they're really pushing the issue and trying to force this thing. And, uh, you know, and so we get into depositions and of course they depose, um, they depose our two clients plus the, their new, their new employer, who's a, a competitor. Uh, and, you know, we depose their general manager and the owner of the company. And in the, in deposing the, the owner of the company, you know, he, he really did take this approach and, and have the mentality of, I created this whole industry. It wouldn't be here without me. And, and I teach my people things that you can't find anywhere else. And I remember sitting in the deposition and we asked them, okay, so you're telling us as we sit here now that you would, for example, know where the cleanest bathrooms are in Disney World at any given time. And he said, yeah. And, and nobody else would have that information. He said, I don't believe so, no. So we took a recess, went straight to my office, sat down at my computer, Googled this thing. No shit, I, I kid you not, there were a million results that popped up. And so I print out just the Google search and one of the articles, and we go back into the deposition, and it resumes, and we had said to them, so a few minutes ago, you said that nobody else would know this, right? He said, yeah. I said, would it surprise you to learn that there's over a million different hits on a Google search as to where to find the cleanest bathrooms in Disney at any time in the day? And he sat there, blank face. Better yet, here's an article. And we shoved it in front of him on the table and marked it as an exhibit in the deposition. He's like, I, I, and he stuttered over himself. I got to admit, I'm, I'm shocked. I, I would have never. So it's kind of fair to say that you don't necessarily have the creative license on this that you think you do, right? Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. Um, and so, you know, that deposition ends. We go through a full-blown, um, you know, injunction hearing put on they put on two or three witnesses. We put on three or four witnesses. I mean, this thing was spread out over like four days. All to stop two 20-somethings from doing tours and parks. That's all this was. Um, went through mediation, and they're making all kinds of crazy demands. Uh, you know, and at one point in mediation, they had gotten, the mediator's a good friend of ours, um, you know, one of the best mediators in the area, I think. Um, but he is, you know, he was able to get our client to say, okay, fine, I will pay up to this amount of money. And, you know, it was a decent five digit sum. It wasn't what they were demanding, but it was something that was worthwhile and they turned it down. Um, and about three months later, we finally got the result from the court on that injunction hearing, which was 
yeah, no, no injunction. There's nothing protectable here in, in this non-compete. I don't even think the non-compete's enforceable the way it's written to begin with. So no, you lose. About a day later, we get a phone call from, from opposing counsel going, so I'm pretty sure that offer's off the table. Um, how about a walk away? And, you know, and, and rather than trying to pursue them for legal fees, which we could have done because we'd been successful on that part of the litigation, um, you know, we called our client. He's like, I just want it to be over. I don't want the bleeding anymore. It's not worth it. Um, you know, and so, so, you know, by being the, the, the guy that he was and, and really believing that he can do what he did uh, and make these outlandish claims, all stuff which he stole from his time when he worked at Disney, mind you, um, you know, <laughs> he, lost, he lost a decent five-digit sum in mediation you know, because he turned it down and, and, and then ended up losing altogether when the judge ruled against him. So, you know, the, I guess the long story put short there is, you know, you, you really got to be careful what you think you have as a protectable interest in these non-competes because a lot of times it's, it's just not. It is. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the non-competes are crazy. And, and then, I mean, you see also people just also on the flip side, I know we, we've had one coming up where, you know, people do some horrible things violating them, which are just really, really bad, too. And like you were saying, you know, it's just like. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there are things that are truly protectable. You know, I mean, there's something in the news right now where somebody has has violated some secrecy things in D.C. You know, I think he was arrested today. You know, there are things that there are times when these confidentiality agreements and non-competes and restrictive covenants 100 percent enforceable and they should be. But the law has stretched so far um, in the direction of let's just try and apply it, even though it's probably not going to work. That's kind of the mentality that, you know, it's, it's just, it's weakened it completely to the point where even the ones that are really protectable and, and interesting and, and should have this safeguard, the, the effectiveness of this document. And it, it's just, it's eviscerated. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, I, we have one case coming, one true law story come up where like in the middle of the night, one, a vendor uh, or a client stole its vendor's entire sales team in the middle of the night and tried to claim it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was just a coincidence that 12 salespeople left and went to work for the vendor or went to work for the client. This happened about two or three years ago. It happened here locally with a bank, um, you know, where, where the, the bank took off and they, they, secreted things away in the middle of the night all these employees with client lists and you know and customer lists and everything else and that went straight to federal court and you know federal court turned around and said nope uh-uh you don't get any of that you know and, and they all left because they were going to there a new bank had just started and they were all going to this new bank to, to you know take all their books of business over there and everything else and so yeah. you have one last story you were talking about that was a big one <laughs> crazy one yeah so we have a client, I mean, and, and, and he's just, he's the greatest guy. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't talk to him about this ahead of time. Um, I'm sure he would have laughed and said, go ahead and tell him and tell him my name too. I don't care. But so a couple of years ago, uh, this client, he's, he's a real estate investor. So he's got property interests all over the state of Florida. You know, it's kind of hard when you're living in one part of the state, but you got property everywhere else. And so much of it is, you know, vacant land that has yet to be developed and stuff to really monitor what's happening. And so he had this property in, in a remote part of 
Central Florida that, um, you know, he really hadn't been paying much attention to. Um, and he went up there one day and found a camper there. Um, and some squatters had taken residence on a portion of the property that was really kind of secluded. Um, and it turns out that they were cooking meth. Well, he didn't, he didn't want them on his property. He asked them nicely to leave and they told him no. So he decided that he was going to take the law into his own hands. This is a true story. I, I can't, if I was writing for Hollywood, I couldn't make this up. So this client goes, rents a bulldozer, goes back over to his property, tells them they got three minutes to clear out. And they stood there and said, what are you going to do? And he, he literally said, watch. And he bulldozed down their camper. He drove right over it with the bulldozer. He said they scattered like rats. They were running on all kinds of different directions. They never went back to the property and they never called the cops. And, and I think it's pretty fair to say that they didn't call them because they were cooking meth. What are they going to do? You know, he just knocked over our meth lab. You know, the cops will be like, well, thank you, sir. And shaking his hand. You know, they really wouldn't have done anything. Not going to go to the court to try and get civil remedies for it. You know, we were cooking meth on his property. and He destroyed our, our camper and our meth lab. You know, the judges are going to say to that, well, again, thank you, sir. <laughs> and you shouldn't have been squatting on his property, let alone cooking meth. You know, I mean, it's moments like that, you know, when, when you get a client that calls you up and says, so I did something. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. And he tells you a story like that, that you just you literally just have to sit in your chair and laugh, you know, and, and then kind of think, man, there's days when I wish I could just do that kind of thing. But, you know, at least civility as a lawyer requires us to, you know, not take that approach. And I would not recommend that approach for most people either. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, oh, man, I just want to drive a bulldozer, A, but B, to be able to use it as a tool in other ways would be fun. Right. I mean, anybody can learn how to drive one to drive it, to, to move dirt. You know, no disrespect to the construction workers that are out there. You know, they do a great job, but. You know, yeah, okay, fine. Teach me how to use one and, and I'll go move some dirt and I'll you know, do whatever. But when you get to do that in a self-help remedy, destroy a meth lab. I mean, the guy's lucky. Let's be honest. He's lucky he didn't get killed, you know, because when he drove through the thing, it would have exploded. He really could have gotten hurt. Well, another reason, kids don't do this at home. This is not a good idea, right? But still, like, be able to take that and just... To have the to have the nerve and and just the, the the fortitude to say, my property, you don't want to leave. I'm getting rid of you. This has been awesome. Crazy stories. You know the not compete stuff is is crazy. And Brian, since you're down the street, we're gonna have you on again, and we're gonna do it live in the studio. Okay, so best way to get a hold of you is WalshBanks.com. You have a full list of services: business law, corporate law, contract law, franchise law, real estate law, nonprofit law, wills and trusts, business taxation, title. So anything transactional and litigation when you get into trouble, where's the best place to follow you? Where do you spend your time on the internet? So we're on, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. My, my marketing team, um, primarily my wife is the one that does a lot of the marketing work for us. So she'll kill me for not actually knowing those handles right off the top of my head. You can find us on those social media platforms, the website, walshbanks.com, you know, or, you know, give us a call and you can call the office and, and talk to us. You know, somebody's, Somebody's usually here Monday through Friday, nine to five. You know, we don't really miss many calls. I, at least I hope we don't miss any. But, you know, from time to time, it, it, I guess it happens with modern technology and, and 
you know, yeah, internet cutting out and things like that. But uh, we'll put links to all of the show notes and we'll make sure that his wife gets us this before we put it in the show notes. So we'll have all the links to their Instagram and everything in there. You know, if you're, if you have, if you're in central Florida, Florida area and you need help with your business, give them a call. If you're in business, you're going to need help with your business at some point. Right, let me just say one more thing. It's never too late to call an attorney for your business. Even if you've already been up and running and you've never needed one, call one because you just never know when something needs to be adjusted or audited. It's going to happen eventually. I always tell that people, if you haven't been, you, you haven't had a legal problem in your business, you haven't been in business long enough. Brian, thank you so much for being on True Law Stories and sharing your stories. All right. It was a pleasure and I'll look forward to doing it again. Yes. And thank you for taking Brian and I on your journey, Design Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by videocasestory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.